I slide on my sneakers and bundle up my scarf. Ugh, I don't want to. I don't want to bring my phone right now. I'm so sick of looking at it. I open the door, and the fickle April cold makes its way into my coat. I stuff my hands in my pockets, and I push them down so hard I've started to tear a hole at the seam. I start to walk down the steep and unpaved road, spitting up tiny rocks with my shoes. I pass my neighbor's sheep, who are buried in their own wall. They're just walking cotton balls. Can they see me under all of that? I briskly jog over to them and they bolt, falling over themselves as if they're going cross-country running in heels. My longing for cuddles are mistaken for an attack. I walk out into the sepia tones of spring in the Hudson Valley. Everything is brown and brittle, no green yet, little signs of life, but not cold enough for snow. It perfectly complements how I'm feeling inside hollow, bleak, because every morning I rise in the countryside, more and more people are not waking up at all. I'm living a quiet existence in the full throttle of this pandemic. It's hard to gauge what's happening given the distance between me and the rest of the world now, as I am deep in the woods of upstate New York with my partner the reports sound more dystopian, and the virus seems larger and more abstract. It's hard to wrap my head around what's happening. So I would go out for walks in the silence of the early spring. And in the beginning, I think that's how a lot of us were experiencing this pandemic, locked up in our homes, quietly. We found how quiet the space is between six feet. I hit my 15 minute mark and turn around. I hit the same no hunting sign that I have walked to and fro from for a month. I continue to wear a larger hole in my pocket as my worry walks alongside me. I know exactly what I'll be doing when I get home because it's the same as yesterday and tomorrow will match it. Since we've escaped here, every day has been a carbon copy of the next. Only the numbers and the weather has changed. After my 2 p.m. walk, I check my phone and see messages of people wanting to talk, complain, catastrophize, and vomit their worries all onto me. I don't, look, I put my phone back down. I allow the messages to pile up like snow from a nor'easter. And I get it. All we can talk about these days is how we're living in a fucked up Black Mirror episode and what else are we watching on Netflix? I can't keep going through that conversation cycle with friends. I can't carry their emotional baggage in my boat because there's a hole in it too. I'm grieving and terrified and confused and scared. I start to shut people out. I curl up into my turtle shell hoping that it can hold on as the world collapses on my back. I don't feel whole. Even though I haven't had a cough or a fever, my mental health is still being taxed. COVID is collecting something from all of us. Well, I'm cooking more. At 6 p.m., I start to make dinner. I didn't get into the whole sourdough fad because... 
I don't have an oven where we're staying. But I make breakfast sandwiches that make Sam sob and promise to never leave me every time he eats them. I cook more because it kind of feels like I'm traveling. I take on more adventurous meals instead of the journeys that I was supposed to go on this year. The most I'm traveling is venturing off to the grocery store and line up with the other shoppers, spaced apart and anonymous. When we go in, I naturally gravitate to the international foods aisle and find myself weeping in front of the ramen section. In my saddened state, I black out grocery shop and only look down at what I've gotten as I walk out of the store. My bags are filled with random ingredients to make jollof and pho and huevos rancheros. At least I can eat my nostalgia. Because I keep waking up in waves of longing for places I haven't been to in years. The blue buildings of Chefchaouen, the colors and cactuses of Oaxaca, and the roses on every street in Portland. I yearn for the whole world now because I can't go out at all. I'm landlocked indefinitely, endlessly planning my escape the same way Napoleon did when he was stranded on the island of Elba. After dinner, we go for a walk. As we go along, Sam gives me tweet-sized updates of the outside world. That's all I can handle without spiraling. I focus more on how many buds are making their way out of the trees than how many people are contagious. Even as I look at the whole forest ready to bloom, the COVID numbers seem larger. But one solace that I do have is that I am home. I'm close to my parents and my sisters, a proximity we haven't shared in nearly a decade. And for years, I would try to be charming and say at parties that my post-apocalyptic plan was to run north along the Hudson River because my home is a straight shot, assuming in this hypothetical situation that transportation is down. But I didn't know one day I would have to follow through with it. And after being in quarantine for four months... The joke's on me. But it's interesting because this is a place I've known so intimately for the first 18 years of my life and then flew away from. Sure, I've come back for holidays, but I haven't spent really large chunks of time here in years. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be home, to be in some place that just, I feel like my cells exhale when I'm home. I'm completely relaxed. So then we start getting ready for bed around 11, and if Sam wasn't there to nudge me to go to sleep, I could spend hours into the night looking at Instagram account of the Maldives or endlessly pinning trips to South Africa. My computer has crashed twice because I have too many tabs open of around the world ticket options. Okay, if I go to Spain, then Turkey, I could make my way through the Middle East, or I could reverse it maybe a Japan. quick layover in Alaska for an iceberg cruise. Then I could take the Oriental Express and make my way through Russia and be in Sweden in time for the days of total sun, or I could go south. My favorite parts about being alive have been put on pause. The spontaneity, the adventure, the adrenaline rush and surprise. It feels like being stuck in an airport. 
your flight has been delayed for six hours and you've already been waiting, only to find that your flight will be pushed back again. Your eyes have glazed over from looking at your phone. You're tired of seeing it. You wish the couple next to you would wear some goddamn headphones to the YouTube videos they're watching. You go up to ask a flight attendant, how much longer is it going to be? And she gives you a stock answer and continues to pick at her nails. You just sigh and you go back to the piece of carpet you've claimed for yourself. Thank God you're in comfy clothes. All you would like is some kind of real update to help your mind push through the monotony, the frustration, the uncertainty. You oscillate between boredom and frustration faster than a pendulum that has been swung by a petulant piano student. You look back and forth between the stewardesses making small talk and the patterns of the carpet. You feel yourself start to go a little mad and then something snaps. You can't keep going on like this. So you start to think about, if I'm going to be here for a minute, how can I make the most out of it? You break into acceptance. So you turn to the couple next to you and ask them why they're headed to where they're going and why. That piques the interest of the person behind you who also once used to live there. You ask someone what they're reading or finally pull out that French book you carry around and never open. Because all we can do now is wait. Today on the episode, we're waiting. We talk to travelers who disclose how they've been handling this stillness, the lack of movement during this quarantine. We will talk to travelers about seeing themselves and their home with travelers' eyes, refreshed and renewed. And since we have the time, we might as well take it. I'm Adrian Bain, and this is Strangers Abroad. When COVID hit, we all had to make do with wherever we were. Some of us were able to escape, but others hunkered down right where we lived. It's too risky to travel. And for travelers, home is often a place of rest, a place to put the new rugs and art we've collected from abroad, but it isn't some place to stay for long periods of time. Our wandering spirits have been grounded, and we had to start looking around our own apartments and at ourselves. This pandemic held up a mirror to see who we are when we can't be around others. What do we want out of our lives? How can we be intentional about filling this stillness? So we started to invest in ourselves and our homes in a new way. That's what Leah and Trizzy from Ticket to Anywhere podcast did. Both of them live in Los Angeles. And when COVID hit, they started looking at their homes and themselves a little bit differently. So my name is Leah. I grew up here and I went to college here, University of Long Beach State. That's how Trizzy and I actually met. So we've known each other for a really long time. We've always been lifelong friends. And I always knew LA was a great place to grow up in. It, there's beach, there's mountains, there's deserts, there's wine country. But I was always itching for more 
which is why I ended up, you know, moving to Las Vegas. I wanted to get out. And then I said I was going to go to South America and then Australia. And finally, I'm back because I have so much of my family and friends here that this is a good home base. But I could see myself splitting time, you know, between here and, and elsewhere. And sometimes I think Trizzy loves this city more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Guess you could say that. <laughs> Hey, I'm Trizzy, and I am originally from Seattle, Washington. I moved here in, to go to college, Cal State Long Beach, like Leah said. And from the outside looking in, I was like, oh my gosh, Los Angeles is amazing. And I was pretty just struck by the Hollywood, the entertainment industry of things. You know, the sun is consistent. LA has it pretty good here. There's lots of things to do, like Leah said. There's the desert, there's mountains you can hike, hills, beach, ocean. It's never ending every weekend. Right. You always have something to do. We're so like, oh, the beach, we work out on the beach, we go if we need a breather. And so many people don't live near a beach. And we, mm-hmm. we don't take it for granted, but it's nothing new to us. So even when we go somewhere else and we're like, oh, the beach, that's great. I can get that back home in L.A. I, I agree with that in some sense, but <laughs> I feel like the beaches here versus the beaches when we do go travel, it's so different. Oh, yeah. You can get like the, the extreme, <laughs> extreme turquoise water. I mean, I do feel sometimes that the beach that I always go to, which is Playa del Rey, it does get a little tiring sometimes. And so, um, like we've said before, there's tons of options here. I mean, beaches could be somewhat of a routine, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an L.A. thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) I think I never appreciate L.A. more than in the few weeks I'm back after a long trip. Definitely. I realized I come back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have everything I was looking for is right here in the city. But when I'm here, like I've been here for four months now continuously and I'm, you know, so bored, itching to go out and travel and get on a flight again and definitely take the city for granted. Because when you leave it, you hear from other people, oh my gosh, you're from LA? You live there? It must be so great. It's, it's weird hearing how much everyone kind of praises it. But then it it humbles you and you think to yourself, oh, yeah, I do appreciate it. I do love it. I'm not sure if there's a term for this, but I feel like when we live somewhere, we are quickly bored of it. We don't take advantage of what we moved there for. The hikes, the beaches, the theaters, the museums. Ugh, they'll be there tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. There's no rush to go out and do it now because I can do that later. We take for granted what is within walking distance from us. And I do that. There's so many things in the Hudson Valley that I've never done. And now that I'm here, I'm exploring it more than I ever did when I was an actual county resident. Leah and Trizzy are noticing this as well. I wish I went on more hikes in LA because there's like a whole bunch of mountains that are available. Like Mount Baldy is not too far from here. Mm-hmm. And it's like a 15 mile hike, I believe. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I would have loved to experience that. But now I just have to wait till everything kind of somewhat 
gets back to normal or when I feel comfortable in doing something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's I think the hikes, I think that's something you definitely have started appreciating more and more. I, I hiked a lot in like, there's, you know, four or five main trails like within the city of LA proper that I hike quite often and I just rotate them. And that's something I'm like, wow, we're really lucky to have this. And you can see the beach from almost every single one of these hikes. And yeah, I think about all the cities that don't have a beach in their city and all the cities that don't have a hike or a viewpoint in their city. And then I can't mm -hmm. imagine living anywhere else. <laughs> Sad that I kind of need all those reminders. Like, oh yeah, I do love this place. But LA is such a birthplace of ideas. And that's what's made me love this place even more the past year is being able to create and produce here. And so many people are creatives and in the creative industry and it's inspiring like knowing that you live in a city where this is what people come to do and that no one will shame it or look down upon it and so it's that's made me more excited to explore the cities i think that some of us have a natural inclination to explore on our own and some of us need a buddy so since leah is single and trizzy is taken and none of us can be around those we haven't been exposed to I asked them how their statuses has influenced their local exploration. Well, I mean, I'm a solo female traveler all, all around the world. But then it's weird. Sometimes when I'm back here in L.A., I don't want to go do every single thing alone. And sometimes that prevents me from just going at all. I'm like, well, yeah, I don't really want to hike this, you know, 10-mile hike all by myself right now or visit this place by myself so I'll just refrain and maybe hold off till next time so sometimes it prevents me from exploring a bit it's weird how your confidence level is so different when you're abroad so different where it's almost like a you have to survive and how you know how would you even travel or see anything if you didn't do things alone when you're abroad but when I'm back in LA it's it's a bit different I think I limit myself sometimes, but that's all on me, right? So, but still exploring as much of LA as I can. I get jealous of Trizzy sometimes, you know, always having an, a, part, a partner to explore with in her home. <laughs> for me, it's been interesting. For the most part, she's usually down for whatever. Basically, she's been kind of eyeing a lot of local destinations that we could do as far as like hikes and beach fronts and stuff like apparently some of our beaches they have like hidden caves where you just have to take a few more steps than you usually do on a beach and then you'll find a cave and I'm like oh my gosh okay hopefully that will be <laughs> on my list to explore knowing that I have to like stay in the house you know five days a week she understands that on the weekend I need it I need to go out whether it's maybe just walking alongside the streets or just finding a new hiking spot, then that's like easy to do. And making sure that of course, we go out early because that's where less crowd is. We took a camping trip, which was my first camping trip ever to Joshua Tree. And this was Memorial Day weekend. And we're, we're still in quarantine, but I believe that was the weekend where all the national parks 
started opening. And so we were just really antsy because three of our trips has already been canceled by that time. Yeah. Well, and she's a, she's a healthcare worker also. So she's on the front lines, Mm -hmm. um, which I feel could almost add another emotional layer, you know, dealing with what she has to deal with and seeing virus infect people. Exactly. And, and take care and treat them, you know, and then, but come home, have this release of exploring LA, you know, Mm -hmm. I guess around me and within like a half mile to a mile direction of where I live in West LA. There's a lot more parks than I thought there was. So you look at the map and you see all these tiny little green patches and you watch them and you're like, oh, this is actually a really great place to put a blanket down and read or work out. In Tristan's case, I had just kind of been going to the same park by me or I would go to you know, Baldwin Hills Scenic Overlook or Kenneth Hahn Park or some of the really big parks in LA where everyone goes. But it's just discovering the little nooks and crannies of my particular neighborhood, which is very residential, great for young professionals, and having those options of where I want to relax and read a book today. You know, (laughs) that actually sparks something in me that it's like so true because this past weekend, I try to go to the Santa Monica stairs to do a workout. And then I noticed that both ends of the stairs were closed. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Because I really wanted to do the stairs. <laughs> and I was curious of just driving more deeper into or like past the area. And then it led me to like residential parking, which was free residential parking. And then you just walk a few steps and then it stairs to go to the beach. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just discovered free parking at Will Rogers State Park. This is my new spot because <laughs> I hate paying for parking. <laughs> yes, I was gonna say free parking is so, it's gold in LA. Regardless on if we're living alone or with someone, when we started to shelter in place, we had to make do with all this new time on our hands. Many of us spent hours on TikTok, but others became resourceful. They started learning a new language or finally made that podcast that they've been thinking about. This time of pause has invited a lot of reflection we might not have had if we were always on the go. With myself, the end, the beginning of quarantine, I didn't believe it. I was like, this will be a few weeks. It's fine. Like, we'll be fine. And... I start the day it was declared a world pandemic. I started that for a month. I just wasn't in a good headspace. I was literally dragging my feet around the house, lost my job. What am I going to do? You know, I was crying. I was being really like useless, not, but it was hard. Like everyone was in a bad place. And after a month of that, I was like, okay, this is not sustainable. Leah, you know, you can do and contribute more than this. Just wipe your tears and get to work. And so Steadily, I've been finding community, finding other ways to up-level my current skills and kind of digging deep, like Trizzy did, inside of me and saying, what else am I good at so I can find other avenues to go down? You know, losing work is really disheartening. After travel, events industry was probably the second to go down with everything that's happening right now. So 
and who knows if it will reemerge. You know, I've been trying to get into digital online events. I've been doing some schooling, getting some certifications, and now I'm in a much better place than I was two months ago. But it's very clear that the world is changing, and we'll have to change with it, and we'll have to adapt that way. It's just I was so excited about going back into the events industry, and and now I can't. So. You know, I love connecting people and being around people. So I try to put those skills to good use by joining a few groups and hosting some meetups and connecting people with stories. And that's what I'm doing now. And I hope to continue to do that. I was confused on what I could be doing because I'm so active. Like I, I run at the beach. Like that is maybe like three to four times a week for me I run at the beach and I had to kind of figure out how I'm going to make my home into a gym so luckily before then I had an idea of what I wanted to do with my garage and so I kind of like fixed it up got all the equipment that I needed to and now I have you know like a cardio station which is like a stationary bike and I have <laughs> my punching bag and my punching bag stand which can count for a TRX suspension hanger. Just after self-reflection and self-evaluation, everything smoothed itself out. Yeah, well, and you took it a step further and you're getting certified to train to woo-woo. Yeah, I, I, I dug deep. I dug deep and I was <laughs> like, all right, I love doing this. And that kind of like goes back to like the self-reflection and the self-evaluation. Like, I love my job. I love what I do. but there's a part of it where I just don't feel fulfilled. And uh, in fulfillment, for me, I want to be able to help other people. And this quarantine, you're kind of like, you know, the, the first responders, the frontline workers, they are people who are living with fulfillment in my eyes. And so I was thinking like, man, what's a good way for me to kind of like help other people out? I like, you know, fitness. I like to help make people feel physically and mentally good about themselves. So hopefully I could take it a step further and <laughs> hopefully get my certification and get that going. So Leah like doesn't have to be my only client. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like for you, it's, it's like you sharing your wealth with the world because you are so fit and you're very like, you know, you take pride in the different types of exercises you can come up with, the different activities you can do, you know, with so many of your side projects that the next logical step would almost be, well, why don't I share this wealth of knowledge that I have with others, right? And become a trainer. Yeah, so totally. what quarantine brings out the best and the worst in people I feel like I've seen. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It, it mean, definitely tests you. <laughs> it does. It absolutely tests everything. Sorry, I don't know. I'm not, I think I, I think I just missed a signal. It's fine. No, it's good. It's good. Um, we make some. 
chamomile tea and talk about the stock market? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am ready to smack Sam's hand the moment I see a queen flip over onto the pile of cards. Sam has started narrating the play-by-play like a baseball radio host, a dream he's only living now at our borrowed kitchen table in the woods. We become fiercely competitive. No, it's not the easiest game. Oh yeah, it's not that easy. Remember that one time I won three times in a row? And each time was sequentially faster. I very vividly remember that. You know, I very, very vividly remember that. The thing is, you've been having edibles before bed a lot, and I'm, I'm, I think that maybe was a dream. I don't think. Don't fucking gaslight me. Our compassionate natures are put on pause when Sam begins to shuffle the deck and I take off my rings. We have found this form of play that keeps us busy from thinking about the news too much. The world pauses for a moment as Sam and I furiously flip cards and birds at each other. No hard feelings and harder kisses when the game is over. Oh my God. I've never played Egyptian Rat Screw before, but I love it. It reminds me of playing endless games of spit with my sisters when I was younger. We would walk away with either red hands or bruised child pride. And I'm seeing my sisters a lot these days. Both of them are within a 15-minute drive, and our evenings rotate between houses and meal plans. When we pull into my middle sister's driveway, a miniature mane of platinum blonde hair pops up at the windowsill and then disappears and then reappears at the front door. My two-year-old niece runs down to say hello, and my sister's gorgeous hair flows in the wind as she runs after her daughter. A matching set of blue eyes greet us. My niece grabs my right hand and Sam's left hand, and we step, 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 swing her into the air. Step, 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 swing her into the air. Step, step, step. We've limited our social contact to my family. In the beginning, Sam and I kept our distance, but our need to be close overcame us. I didn't hug anyone in my family for the first three months, and every time I turned to leave my parents, they looked like puppy dogs that had just had their tails stepped on. Unfortunately, none of us have had any symptoms, knock on wood. So over dinner, we get the usual takeout at a local brewery and tell my family of the hike that Sam and I have gone on that day. We've done Lennox and Woodstock and Northampton and all of these places that I've always wanted to explore but never gave myself the time to. And I might not have had this opportunity to be with my family so much if it wasn't for COVID. I know that we're not all excited to be indefinitely quarantining with mom and dad, who insists on treating us like the dramatic 14-year-old teens we once were. But I don't know when there would be another instance that I would get to be with my family so much. In BC, before COVID, I would visit my family no more than five days at a time. I would kind of just get in and get out. But now, I have time to really sit with them, spend hours after dinner and hear the stories that 
I haven't revisited in years. I keep making new ones. Because this time is a story that I hope no one forgets. And the thing is, I know my family secretly loves that I'm here. Even under the circumstances. As the world seems to be collapsing, my family is so happy I'm close. And I am too. After a decade of seeing how far I could go, I need to be near them now. And that's the thing about this time. Although we all feel defenseless and horrified and confused, we're still finding magic in moments of our day. Some of us are falling deeper in love with someone, or watching our children turn two, or witness the magnolia tree bloom on our blocks. It seems hard to endure the magic that is still happening around us. But it's everywhere, like walking through a field of fireflies. It's moments of soft glowing and then darkness. So you need to catch it when you see it. Please still maintain social distancing. Wear masks when you go outside and wash your filthy hands.